He's my boyfriend! This is Cinema Excelsior, an exploration of films based on Marvel Comics. We analyze the good, the bad, and the really, really bad movies that make up the Marvel canon, and try to understand what makes each one succeed or fail as an adaptation, production, and art. I'm Stefan Claypool, and joining me today via, I guess we'll say the Beverly to my Philzy, is Nick Bester. Hello, Nick. I don't get that reference. Did you watch the movie? Those are characters from the movie. <laughs> I forgot. I read that he insisted on calling him Philzy. I forgot about that. You're Okay, you're the uh, the Leah Thompson to my Tim Robbins. I can live with that. Okay. I can definitely live with being the Leah Thompson in this. And I, I didn't want either of us to be the Howard because I don't think either of us has done something to merit that punishment yet. And we're certainly not the Jeffrey Jones. No, no. Hopefully no one is the Jeffrey Jones. All right. You can only be so lucky. So this is the inaugural episode of Cinema Excelsior. And today, our first wonderful film that we're going to be talking about. <laughs> I, I'm really happy that we started with this, like that the Marvel canon started with this, because I feel like we are starting at rock bottom. Like, yes. It, it, we uh, can't... Maybe not rock bottom. We could we could get worse. I'm well, pretty sure there's going to be worse movies than this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This so the the film is Howard the Duck, and it it is soul grating, soul crushing. It's not good. It's it's not good. It's a really bad movie, uh, but that's okay because the purpose of this podcast is to examine what makes these films succeed or fail in their various capacities and chart the progress of and development of the Marvel Cinematic Universe over the last 25, 30 years. And uh, oh, well, we'll, we'll get to uh, some, of the, some of the parallels when we get to the ending here. But before we talk about the film, other than what we've already said, which is that it's terrible... Uh, I think we should probably give you a brief summary of what happens in this film. You could watch it yourself. It's available on iTunes. You can get it on DVD. You probably shouldn't watch it yourself. Um, no. But you Don't know, we, do it. we can't stop you from making bad life decisions. All right. So uh, basic summary. Howard the Duck lives on Duck World, which is just like Earth. but No, with... it really is called Duck World, isn't it? It is called Duck World, yeah. I was hoping I was joking when I said that it was really called Duck World. It should have been called, like, Ducktopia. Um, it, it, it is just like Earth, but with ducks instead of people. Uh, one night, Howard is pulled through a cosmic tunnel to the exotic land of Cleveland, Ohio, where he meets Beverly, uh, played by Leah Thompson, a punk rocker whose band Cherry Bomb could make it big if it weren't for their embezzling manager. Uh... <laughs> I think punk rocker is a charitable description for what their music is. Okay, uh, it's a very it's a very cynical like corporate Hollywood depiction of what they 80s, thought yeah. a punk rock band might look like. So, so Beverly introduces Howard to her friend uh, Phil Blumbert, played by Oscar winner Tim Robbins, uh, who steals one of Howard's feathers for analysis with the help of his colleague Doctor Jenning. 
They determined that Howard was transported to Earth accidentally by a top-secret experimental transdimensional ray that Dr. Jennings and his team have been building. Dr. Jennings. Played by Jeffrey Jones. By uh, child porn enthusiast Jeffrey Jones. Mm -hmm. Um, Building his transdimensional ray in Cleveland. Uh, Unfortunately, their attempt to send Howard back home goes wrong when a dark overlord of the universe travels back through the ray and possesses Dr. Jennings. These things happen. Uh, the possessed Jennings kidnaps Beverly with the intent of having others of his race possess her body, while Howard and Filzy pursue them in an ultralight. Uh, eventually, with the aid of some questionable super science, Howard saves Beverly, purges the Dark Overlord from Jennings, kills the Dark Overlord, and destroys the Dimensional Ray, trapping himself on Earth, but saving it from the horrors of the universe. Howard takes over as the manager of Cherry Bomb, Phil becomes their stage manager, the band goes on to great 1980s success, and Howard closes the film by playing a guitar solo live during a concert. Not bad for a duck from outer space. It's it's really beautiful because you really see the dramatic arc that he goes through from duck in one place to duck in another place. Oh yes, it's very... Joseph Campbell would be proud. Yes. So there, there's a lot of things that we could we could talk about when we do this, but I think that we would be remiss without starting with the fact that this film was made by George Lucas. It was made by George Lucas. This was... there are time there are times when you have to wonder why people had faith in George Lucas. I mean, this was George Lucas at the height of being George Lucas, and it's still clear that he does not have good ideas. He he had been. <laughs> He had come out of Return of the Jedi. The Indiana Jones franchise had hit the ground running. Massive hit. Lucas resigned the presidency of Lucasfilm to focus on this film. This was not something he cranked out. This was his baby, his pet project. So imagine that you are at the height of Hollywood power. What do you do? You make Howard the Duck. Make a movie about a duck. So, I guess the the first and maybe only question is, what went wrong? <laughs> that, that is the only question, but it's not a simple question. There's a lot of... There's not a lot of things that went right. Yeah. Well, maybe, first of all, yeah. it's about a duck. It's well, a movie about a fucking duck. I'm it's not... a movie about a fucking duck that should have been animated. People wanted to make it animated, and George Lucas said, no, no, I can totally do this. I'm George fucking Lucas. Let's make it live action. And produce, and then produces a movie with a very, very unconvincing duck. Yeah, I was going to say, you would think that you know Lucas would want to make it live action because he's into the special effects aspect of it. Um, but the, the duck costume, the duck head was just about as poorly executed as it could possibly be. I mean, the mouse kind of moved. Occasionally the eyes opened and closed, but it was like watching a bad animatronic at Disneyland. It's a very bad animatronic. I would say... I would say this is probably worse special effects than the Ewok movies. (laughs) And that's saying something. I'm actually not sure that George (laughs) Lucas really had a lot of oversight on those movies. But as I recall... And I realize that I, I hold the Ewok movies in a rationally high uh, <laughs> regard, having grown up with them. 
Like, I distinctly remember, I'm pretty sure I saw the Ewok movies before I saw Return of the Jedi. I'm pretty sure I saw Return of the Jedi and went, holy shit, it's the Ewoks! Um, this, this, this Jedi thing, it was a spinoff of the Ewok movies. I definitely distinctly remember my parents having to explain that the Ewoks existed in Star Wars. Because I just <laughs> thought of the Ewoks as being the Ewoks. An established media not- property. There was a cartoon. There was a comic book. There were two movies. One of them, ha- one of them had Wilford Brimley. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they were on top of the world. The Ewoks. It ended the. But I that, digress. Ended the universe. The Brimley credibility. Yes. Um, well, well, your your point is, or the first of many points that that you made was that the problem is this is about a duck. But Howard the Duck, of course, based on a Marvel comic book. Um. And a successful, semi-successful Marvel comic book for a fairly long Semis- period of time. Semi-successful, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure this. Well, actually, I wonder if if the movie hadn't been made, would Howard the Duck be a more or less well-known character than he is right now? I th- because I, th- I have to, I have to imagine the movie was a big hit to his credibility. But also, I if but because of the movie, that's the only reason I know about the character. I think so. He- I don't know if. I don't know if, if Howard the Duck was on the upswing and then the movie shot all to hell, or if it was a somewhat successful comic in like the late seventies, early eighties, that would have been now be entirely unknown at this point. He would be, I think, less well known, but more highly regarded. Probably. Um Howard the Duck created by Steve Gerber for Marvel Comics, and sort of the the tone that Gerber was going for was this bizarre, existential, fourth-wall-breaking, um, in a character that you, you would see sort of reflected again and again throughout comic book history and things like Flaming Carrot, things that were yeah. a, a little more outlandish. Um, a, gr- tone, a tone that the makers of this movie, the screenwriters... Absolutely wanted nothing to do with. There are, there are quotes, and Stefan may have them ready. I don't know. He seems to be much more prepared for this than I am. Uh, or about, like, w- one of the writers saying, ah, f- fuck existentialism. This is about a duck. So, so, We're, this is a movie about a duck. We're not doing that. So Gerber's basic thesis for Howard the Duck is, uh, quote, that life's most serious moments and most incredibly dumb moments are often distinguishable only by a momentary point of view. This was Gerber's vision for Howard the Duck, and the screenwriter of the film, Gloria Katz, responded by saying, it's a film about a duck from outer space. It's not supposed to be an existential experience. So that that raises, I mean, that raises a question, though. Is the film bad because it was not faithful to the source material? I don't think that that was the make-or-break no, but it probably would be a much more interesting movie if it tried to stick to that. Probably not a more successful movie, but mm-hmm. it probably would might at least be trying to do something interesting with Howard the Duck instead of like halfway through getting to this weird, very bad Buckaroo ban- Banzai sort of pastiche that it turns into once Jeffrey Jones turns into this uh, Lovecraftian horror. I'm really glad that you brought up Buckaroo Banzai because at a couple of points during the film, I wrote down in my notes that it fe- the entire cast felt like if you took the cast of Buckaroo Banzai, took the mm-hmm. cast list, and then knocked every actor down about three levels to get their C or D list replacement. Yes. 
I mean, obviously at this point, Tim Robbins is probably he's nobody. Maybe he's yeah. I mean, at, at the point of this being made, obviously he's not an A list, or he may he might not be A list now. He might be B list, but he's certainly a, he's certainly a name, and certainly the only real name here. Although I I do have a uh, I am quite fond of Leah Mitchell, um, or is it Michelle? I actually don't know. Um, I don't know. Who are you is talking there, about? Is, Leah Mitchell. Is it Mitchell or Michelle? Leah Thompson. Thompson? Who the fuck am I talking about? Andrea Mitchell? Ignore me. I okay. think there's somebody with that name who I'm thinking of. Is that the girl from Glee? And that might be the name of the girl from Glee. I don't know. Um, Leah Thompson is who I'm talking about. Yes, she's the one in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so, so for her, I believe that this was post Back to the Future. Yes. What year is Howard Duck again? You obviously have the stats up somewhere. Uh, 80, 85 or 80. I think it was 86. Okay, so yeah, this should be just after Back to the Future, but before Back to the Future 2 or 3. That's true. So she she had a little bit of a career recovery. And uh, Jeffrey Jones, you know, outside of all of the unpleasantness that comes with Jeffrey Jones as a human being, um, his career was not like horribly damaged by this film he went on to ferris bueller went on to beetlejuice you know yeah um it, it's i was i was quite surprised when he showed up because it's not immediately obvious that he's the antagonist in the movie yeah. it takes like a good 10 minutes or so before the lovecraftian horror shows up uh so and and he's quite nice to howard i i kept expecting the twist to be that he was like tricking howard into into coming there and then they were going to kidnap him and try to experiment on because him. he's, he's obviously he, the villain when he shows up obviously because he's fucking jeffrey jones yeah, you yeah. don't hire this man in a movie in the 80s if he's not the evil principal or the evil scientist yeah. but he's not the evil scientist he's the seemingly quite well-natured scientist who then gets taken over mm-hmm. but he he came out of the film relatively unscathed. Leah Thompson bounced back with Back to the Future 2 and 3. Tim Robbins obviously went on to his career. Um, it, it doesn't David s- Pamer is very Dave, briefly David in the film. David Pamer ma- makes a, a stunning like, cameo appearance. For about five seconds, he's in the movie. He's one of the doctors or professors uh, who's... Everybody in this movie is inscrutably unfazed by Howard. Like, usually there's like a holy shit, there's a duck moment, but five seconds later, there's absolutely no issue with that. People seem to accept that there is a tiny humanoid duck around them with a markable, uh, a markable applause. It's amazing. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to come back to that because at several points, I wrote down, people are taking this remarkably in stride. Except there was one guy after the scene at the museum where uh-huh. uh, they were with Filzy, and he shows them the, that ridiculous evolutionary diagram. Uh, <laughs> yes, the diagram. So, so the, uh, Beverly takes Howard to a museum where Filzy is working, and Filzy lays out the theory of duck world evolution, which is basically like, imagine how people went from apes to man, but starting with a duck. And the reveal of his theory... That is, that is very nearly a direct quote of <laughs> Tim Robbins' very dramatic speech. Um, the way that they reveal this is they are standing in front of an exhibit showing, like, uh, Evolution of Man, the, the classic Evolution of Man chart. And they show that, then they cut away to Tim Robbins' rambling, and then they cut back, and the chart is suddenly in shadow and has very clearly been replaced by another chart. 
And then someone off camera is shining a flashlight across the chart to illuminate it. It was the cheapest special effect I've ever seen in anything. Ever. Yes, once again, this is a remarkable... For you expect a George Lucas movie, particularly like George Lucas at this phase, it should be like the highest grade special effects you could yeah. possibly get. It's not. Nope. Um, but I that, guess I guess hopefully this is a sign that there were people going around going, "All right, George Lucas is off his rocker. We're we're gonna have to let him do this, but don't give him too much money." Because imagine how much more money he could have sunk into this. Because I don't, it's not, it's not an issue where like if you threw enough money at this movie, it suddenly would have become good. Do Do you want to know we're how talk, much? We're talking a lot about all the problems of it, but I don't think either of us have any solutions. This isn't a movie where you go, well, this is clearly where they went wrong. This is a movie where they just shouldn't have made it. How much did it cost? It probably cost an absurd amount, didn't it? So the budget. This is nineteen eighty six dollars. $96. Was $36 million. Adjusted holy, for, adjusted for inflation. Shit. Adjusted for inflation, that's $77 million today. Wow. Re it's Just really that, up on the screen. That's... Where the fuck did that money go? How much is, How much did Jeffrey Jones cost in those days? I, I'm, I'm guessing that it went to failed duck suits. Yes. Um, I imagine that this would be a movie that it would be fascinating if there was like a like a uh, behind the scenes like documentary a type thing. Yes, or uh, whatever the name of the apocalypse uh, now uh, uh, documentary Heart is, Heart of Darkness. If there was something like that charting out all of the ways, I'm pretty sure this would be a movie that would be fantastic to see how it was made. It's not fantastic to watch what was made, but how it was made might be quite interesting. The the only thing that I can think of is it was the mid-80s. Everyone had to be on a lot of drugs. Because the, I can't imagine even George Lucas, a, a, a man with notoriously bad taste. Uh, well, let, let's draw like the market here. So he did all of his stuff in the 70s and the early 80s. Then he got divorced, and there was a noticeable drop-off in the quality of his work. Yes. No, um, this is this is a theory I've seen. Particularly if you look at the uh if you look at the prequels uh -huh. in terms of a treatise on how awful marriage is, <laughs> it's pretty compelling. Because it's essentially a movie entirely about how Anakin's life is ruined by being married to Padme. Yeah. Almost everything that goes wrong for uh for Anakin comes from falling in love. Yeah. It's this all, is a it's very, all her fault. He did everything. It's fine. a very he's a, George Lucas is a is a sad, broken man. Yep. And you could see it entirely in those movies. <laughs> and you can see it entirely in Howard the Duck. Um, so, yes, this so, may have been the madness portion of his thing instead of the embitterment part that you see in the prequels. So, so maybe... I mean, it, I, I would say if you replace Lucas... Because I mean, Lucas didn't direct the film, but I mean, you gotta no. think that he, he didn't direct it in the same way that he didn't direct Return of the Jedi. Yes, although his not directing things often is a good thing. Generally, generally when George mm -hmm. Lucas has an idea and other people step in and like, hey, we're going to write this, we're going to direct this, that is an improvement on it. So, But in this case, it is not. No. Possibly because he specifically got like some of his yes-men acolytes to write it. Mm -hmm. And as we see again in the prequels, George Lucas needs people saying, no, George, that's a bad idea. 
let's not make Han Solo a giant lizard man. That's stupid. <laughs> but imagine the action figures. Um, so if, I, I guess then if we're trying to understand the success or failure of this as a production, as a, you know, a film enterprise, uh, certainly Lucas himself would be high on the list of, of principal reasons for failure. But without Lucas, this film probably doesn't exist. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I, I cannot imagine that there is somebody else like waiting in the wings going, I have the best idea ever for this movie. And then George Lucas sweeps in and goes, "Damn! I don't. I don't think anybody's life ambition Snatch was ruined." Snatch the rights up, right Possible, out from may, under us. Maybe the creator of uh, Howard the Duck. Maybe his life was specifically ruined by this. But I don't think anybody else is going. I have a spec script for a Howard the Duck movie, and it's going to be my ticket to millions. Although I guarantee you that now that we have seen this glut of comic book films over the last 20 years and especially over the last decade all, all of these huge money makers there is someone out there with a howard the duck spec script right now oh yes no i i guarantee you in the 27 years since this movie has been made there have to be dozens of people who said no fuck this movie yeah. here's how you write a howard the <laughs> duck movie and and i would bet good money that probably there are some actually really good spec scripts out there for Howard the Duck that no one will ever make because who in their right mind would go, <laughs> yes, let's remake Howard the Duck. Guys, let's guys, do that. I've got it. Howard the Duck 2. Yes. Um, yeah, on sort of that same note of the... Although, although, let's be honest, with the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe going in the whole Guardians of the Galaxy directions towards the whole oh, that's true. weirder, weirder sci-fi elements of the Marvel Universe, they could be laying the groundwork for so Howard the Duck. Rocket Raccoon is just getting people sort of emotionally set up for the return yeah. of the anthropomorph anthropomorphic duck. I am, I, I'm putting money down right now to like... The post, the post first credits, but after, but before the real credit scene, mm -hmm. not going to be Thanos this time. Yeah, going to be fucking Howard the Duck. They, That's they what's going to come at the end of Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm putting money down. Howard the Duck. Yep, they're they're going to uh, there will be a big fight at the end with Thanos and Ronan the Accuser and all of these characters, and the the Guardians will be scattered, and Rocket Raccoon will wake up on Duck World, and that'll. Set I like it. Now. Do you know much about Howard the Duck as a character? Like, have you ever read any of his stuff? I, I've read a little bit. He is... Does he does he function as a superhero? Because I was looking at, like, his... I just skimmed over his page. And he's got, like, in the sort of stock uh, comic book character templates that all Wikipedia pages are incredibly detailed about. He does have, like, affiliations with, like, the, I don't know, fucking Secret Avengers or something like that. His, so does he actually do that? He, he really, since the film, he has. Um, and and the, the most recent one, Howard is one of the principals in the most recent Marvel Zombies series, where he teams up with Aaron Stack, the machine man from Next Wave. To fight zombies throughout different dimensions. That that is exactly the right use yep. for both Aaron Stack and Howard the Duck. Okay. Yes, there, Howard the Duck. There's your Howard it's the Duck movie. It's really a now that I think about it, why the fuck was Howard the Duck not in Next Wave? You bring Fin Fang Foom in. You yep. bring Devil Dinosaur. Devil Dinosaur. Fucking 
Howard the Duck is absolutely in Next Wave's wheelhouse. If there had been like another, uh, if mm-hmm. Next Wave hadn't just been those twelve issues, yep, we would have been perfect for that. Oh God, yeah. So, so, so I, it, it's it is possible that there are uses of Howard the Duck. He he can yes. be used effectively. This just did not happen to be one of them. Now, I, I while I was watching the movie, I made up my own little narrative of how it was made, knowing that this is not true. Mm-hmm. But I like to imagine that somewhere there was a script that was about it was essentially a Lovecrafted adaptation. Because when you get right down to it. There's a lot of Lovecraft uh, elements going on here. There's the, oh, yeah. the what dark lords of the universe mm-hmm. who are coming in. Some science experiment goes horribly wrong because science are, scientists are dabbling in parts of the universe they don't understand. And these horrible, horrible, inconceivably inhuman monsters enter in and take over our bodies. I mm-hmm. like to imagine that that script existed without Howard the Duck. Like how they make... <laughs> like how they make like how they make Die Hard movies now, where somebody <laughs> writes a script and they say, well, this is a good action script. Let's make a John McClane. I like to imagine that somebody wrote like a serious or a semi-serious uh, horror thriller movie about this science experiment gone wrong. And George Lucas got his hands on it and went, this is great. Now, I have an idea here. Let's put a d- <laughs> Hear me out here. Let's put a duck in here. Let's put this fucking duck I owe the rights to into this into this Lovecraftian horror movie you've made. And everyone around I, him said, "Yes, you're brilliant, Mr. Lucas." I real I'm so sad that's not the story of how that movie was made because if that was the story, I would love this movie. If if, <laughs> if if you could see the seams more, like if you could see how the character was shoehorned into the existing concept, then you could say, "Oh, okay, yeah." But no, also, th- this, to this... go back to Die Hard, imagine how much better some of those awful Die Hard movies have been if that's how they'd done it. If instead of saying, let's put John McClane in here, let's put Howard the Duck in here. Imagine There's Die Hard with idea. a vengeance. Imagine Die Hard through with... Harlem with the sign. Exactly. All right, so D- Howard the Duck's daughter is, uh, is kidnapped by yep. the guy from Justified. Played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Who pretends to blow up the, uh, the Capitol. And then he has to uh, punch some guy into some spinning blades at some point. That happens in Die Hard and Vengeance, right? I, I don't know why that happened, but I'm I'm very distinctly remember a man being pushed into spinning blades. I at really want to do an episode that is nothing but you attempting to recap Die Hard films from memory. Now, to be fair, I have not seen the last one, and the other three movies I've seen well enough that I'm pretty sure that I could do a pretty decent job of recapping what happens. Maybe not Die Hard 2, to be honest, because I don't act... I remember fake bullets. I remember that part. For some reason, that's the distinctive part of Die Hard 2 for fake me. Fake bullets scene... and, John. spoiler alert, John Amos cutting people's throats. Yes. Yeah. For some reason, it's very distinctly the scene where John McClane comes in with the fake bullets and quote-unquote quote, quote, shoots up the place. Mm-hmm. And possibly the guy from NYPD Blue is there? Yep. Did I, uh, did Dennis Franz. Dennis Franz is yeah. there. Dennis Franz is there. And uh, uh, and Senator Fred Thompson. Is he in that? Yep. And, of course, obviously Dickless is there on the plane getting mm-hmm. tased by his, his wife. Mm-hmm. This has been Nick Recaps Die Hard 2. Good, good. We can, uh, we can capture that. That's our pilot for our next series. <laughs> um... So on the note of the people kind of behind the camera, the creative forces involved here, George Lucas 
originally sought someone else to direct this film. Do you know who he wanted to direct this film? Who he offered this film to? God, I hope it was Coppola. <laughs> it was not Coppola, but it was... Because uh... he and Coppola were pretty buddy-buddy. Yep. That would have been amazing. And let's be honest, Coppola, this is something Coppola would do. Oh, yeah. Maybe, yeah. At, maybe at that not period, in... At that period of his career, this is like post One from the Heart. Yeah. This is the man that made Jack. He yes. would fucking make Howard the Duck <laughs> if he had a chance. All it, right. it, it was who, not Coppola. Who was it? It was John Landis. Now I think actually John this John Landis could work because I feel like I feel like a lot of, like post post uh, Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Jones being taken over by the monster yep. and there is a pretty radical shift in the in the movie yeah. up until that point. Um, I could definitely see that being a Landis movie, particularly the bizarre fucking diner scene. We need to talk about that because we- at some point. All right. We, we, we will get to the diner scene in just a sec. I just want to close out the John Landis bit. All right. Tell me more about Landis. Okay. So uh, Landis was offered the film by Lucas. He read the script and he turned it down. And the reason that he gave Lucas for turning it down, and this is the most magna- magnanimous way he could have turned down this film, he looked at it and he said, There is a car chase and a lot of car crashes at the end of this film. I just made this film. It was called The Blues Brothers. Although, to be fair, he's, he's selling it short because it's not really a car chase. As it's you a, said earlier, it's an ultralight, an ultralight airplane. Yeah. Okay, so we, About we, we, 20 minutes of this movie is spent with Tim Robbins and... A little person in a, a stunt little person in the Howard the Duck costume, because obviously it's not whoever is normally in it's that. Not costume. the real Howard. The real Howard one. No. Take uh, on a fucking ultralight plane. Um, as I described it uh, while watching it, it's kind of like Fly Away Home, the action movie. Because uh, <laughs> uh, that's honestly what I associate yeah. with ultralights. Pe- people, either the girl from. Uh, Fly away home, or Vladimir Putin helping geese get places. That's what I think those planes are for. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, you remember that about Putin? Putin did that. Yeah, it was weird. Putin definitely did that. Yep, there are photographs. But Putin's done a lot of things. Uh, yeah, it's a very long, surprisingly boring airplane chase. Well, you you expect if there's going to be an ultralight chase in the film, it's going to be really dynamic. But this was about as boring of an ultralight chase as you can include. Because honestly, for about 90% of the chase, it easily could be a car. Yeah. Because for some reason, they spend the entire time essentially following the road, and mm-hmm. cars are chasing them. And they're only about like a foot off the ground most yeah. of the time. So there's very little that really distinguishes it as an airplane chase. Like, if it had weirdly, like, if somehow the cops also had airplanes and there was, like, a dogfight. Also, it's at this point in the movie that it's revealed that for some reason the ducks of Duck World don't fly. Which, why the fuck did that devolve that way? Mm. It's, uh, I, I yeah, think it's, you, you, you've just punctured this film's logic balloon. Yeah, take that, logic balloon. All okay, right, so, so we, we gotta talk about the diner. All right. If you'll allow me to set up the diner please, in my please, inevitable way. Please do, because right. I didn't so this understand is, anything that happened with the diner. This follows immediately, immediately after the scientific experiment gone horribly awry, where Jeffrey Jones is taken over by the Lovecraftian horror. The mm. Is the Dark Lord of the Universe? I believe that's what he it could is call It is the Dark Lord of the Universe. And the thing that strikes me about this, first and foremost, is that this is not 
It's not Jeffrey. It's not the Dark Lord of the Universe pretending to be Jeffrey Jones's character. He is very, very upfront about the fact that he is a possessed being, and no one believes he, him. Exactly. He goes on and on and on ranting about how he is the Dark Lord of the Universe, and he is going to summon his kin here, and they are going to lay waste to Earth and to the rest of the universe. Yeah, yeah, of course, and, yeah, of course, yeah. And Howard and Beverly just listen to him. And roll his eyes. And while this is happening, Jeffrey Jones is essentially rotting. Like, the, the, there's a... His, his condition gets progressively worse. His bones are growing in weird ways. Yeah, he's his skin's falling energy. off. He's turning purple. It's very, very, very clear that something is wrong with this man. And they just, for some reason, ignore him until at some point he starts shooting uh, purple lightning. Well, we've established that in this world, people just take things in stride. I mean, no one panicked over Howard. So why why would people Well, with the exception of the diner scene. So, they're driving in the car. The Dark Lord of the Universe in Jeffrey Jones' skin is driving around monologuing to Howard and Beverly that they're going, that he's going to destroy the universe. And they don't believe him at all. For some reason, they're just like, Jeffrey Jones, you're crazy. And then they just decide, you know what? I'm hungry. Let's go to a diner. Let's go. Let's go to a diner. So they end up in this bizarre, bizarre roadside diner. Um, the the best way to describe it would be like kamikaze trucker stop. That is exactly how to describe it because there is this weird, like, very kitschy, Americanized version of what you might imagine Imperial Japan could look like in a diner, which is, I realize, the most insane description that's ever happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, one of those totally, Imperial Japanese-American diners. It was, like, yeah, they're wearing, like, the Imperial flag of Japan bandanas, and it's very weird. Uh, so they come in here, uh, and they sit down in the booth, Beverly and Howard on one side and Jeffrey Jones on the other side, continuing to rant and rave about how he's destroying the universe and how mm-hmm. he's clearly an evil entity that they don't believe in all. And the waitress comes over and they order just... Uh, the special. General, whatever. Three specials the special. and three beers. And the special comes and it's eggs. <gasps> it's eggs and Howard freaks the fuck out because he's... Because let's be honest, it is pretty fucked up that we eat eggs, and particularly if you're a bird. I, I um, guess it would be like so. I mean, those were probably chicken eggs. So that would be the equivalent if like we, if one of us ordered the special, and someone brought us like a uh, a fillet of chimp, something like that. I think I remember him making some sort of analogy, but I don't remember what it was, and I'm sure it wasn't particularly. Uh, it was probably poorly but, written. So, all right, so right after his freak out over the eggs, a couple of redneck trucker guys come over and start harassing Beverly and Howard. They're not particularly freaked out about Howard being a sapient duck. Mm-hmm. His being a humanoid duck who is admittedly about three feet tall or so, maybe four, uh, that they comment on it. They make fun of him as though he were wearing glasses or had a cane or something. It's just a sense some <laughs> gentle... Some gentle ribbing that you do. As Kane is a humanoid duck. One of those they're things. All, they're about, it's about that level of some bullies coming over and calling you a nerd. That's about how, how aggressive they get. Until they steal the remote control for the death beam that Howard has for some reason. And then <laughs> Howard has the entire the plot diner goes fucking insane. The entire diner, for some reason, 
and I don't think much really goes to uh, to trigger them. It's essentially they're bullying Howard, and he fights back. Mm-hmm. And literally every human being in this in this place, other than Beverly, decides, "Fuck it, we are cooking this duck. We're gonna kill him. We are gonna kill and eat this duck." Which okay, over sure, his I guess. protests, uh, despite the fact that protests. he is he is so clearly. They're all gathered up in the kitchen, and the weird Japanese fry cook in this bizarre place. He's the only Asian person in this weird imperial <laughs> Japanese establishment, by the way. The the proprietors are all white people in weird, strange Empire of Japan garb. Like, what, um, what Japanese costumes in movies would have been designed as in 1955? Yes. Maybe... Oh, but but much more garishly, even. Like, I mean, it's a weird... Th- this is the scene that, to me, seemed the most Buckaroo Banzai of me. Because I think the special effects kind of look like that. Yeah. And there's a weird, over-the-top kitschiness to the entire aesthetic of this diner. This is this is the part that the most, to me, felt like this scene came out of the same kind of aesthetic as Buckaroo Banzai. Mm-hmm. So Beverly tries to stop this massacre of the duck by shouting out, He's my boyfriend! Uh, that was my impression of her right there. It was quite Please, please do that one more time. He's my boyfriend! I don't know why I'm giving her a, uh, a southern accent, as she's very clear from Cleveland. Yeah. Which, side note, side note here, one of my favorite details of the movie is it's very clear Duck World has very clear uh, the same thing, like... Uh, They've got what was it, Ducking Duckington, DC, or something like that. Yeah, yeah every, like, everything they, is a bad duck pun, but it's except all except for yeah. Cleveland. There is no Cleveland in Duck World because he hears Cleveland mm. and he thinks that's the name of the planet. It's not like, oh, you mean Duckland or whatever, mm. whatever pun you might be able to make out of Cleveland. It clearly something has gone horribly right. In Duck World, unless they don't have Cleveland. Or, or if we want to take that in another direction and kind of spin it out into sort of a more Stephen King Does territory, Duck, Ohio exist? It, it might not. And what that might mean is that Cleveland, Ohio on our Earth, you know, because we, we established with the Carl Sagan narration at the beginning of the film that there, in a, a universe there are infinite possibilities, every possible reality, but there is only one Cleveland. So Cleveland Maybe. then is the linchpin of all known universes. That could be. That, that could is, very that well is be. the Dark Tower. All right. So that was my digression to comment about the lack of Cleveland. Um, and then the Dark Lord of the Universe's powers finally manifest in some way where they can no longer deny that something is clearly up with <laughs> Jeffrey Jones's character. And he starts shooting lightning at the people trying to kill, uh, kill Howard. He doesn't really care about Howard. What he cares about is the remote control. He took the remote control. The Dark Lord of the Universe took the remote control for the death, the, what do you call it? The array that's used to bring his people to Earth. And the, Howard took the it MacGuffin. for him. The MacGuffin, yes. The MacGuffin telescope. <laughs> and Howard, and and the murderous mob has stolen this remote control. And Jeffrey Jones' evil Lovecraftian horror wants the remote control back. In the meantime, he saves Howard. And then Tim Robbins shows up at some point, and they get onto an airplane. So that was the plot. Oh, oh, and and while we're talking about uh, while we're talking about weird parallels between Duck Duck World, while he's on the uh, while he's on the airplane with Tim Robbins, uh, Howard makes several references to uh, to Kamikaze pilots. He does. So, once again, so he knows once what again those going, are. Once once again, going back to the weird 
Imperial Japan, World War II era Japanese motif that we already saw here in uh, the diner. I have no idea what's going on there. Maybe there's some weird allegory that we could try and parse out if we're, we were insane. I think we but, should because so we were means, clearly crazy means, enough to watch Howard the This means on Duck World, there was Duck World War II and Duck Empire of Japan with Duck Kamikaze pilots. Which, sadly, because we learned that ducks don't fly, does not just mean ducks strapped with the TNT flying into into boats, <laughs> which would be a much better image. But so and probably yeah, a much ma- better film. So he makes he he yells out like "tora tora tora" and "bonsai" while this is happening. So clearly, there's a lot there's a lot of very similar similarities between uh, between Duck World and our own. Including, they've got porn at the very beginning of the movie. We get to see their version of playpen, which is yep. playbill, maybe. No, I don't remember. Anyway, it's so you get to see well, some you, you uh, get to see that. duck titties, Woo-hoo! duck titties. Yes. Yeah. That uh, that, that, so that was actually think, that, that that was when I was watching the film. That was the point where my hands kind of went to my head. And I just said, this is madness. I've slipped into the grip of madness. And it should be noted that that's probably about 90 seconds in the <laughs> Yeah, this, this essentially, essentially what happens is you have the sort of philosophical Carl Sagan-y sort of thing about infinite universes. And then there's some really shitty scale models of Duckburg or whatever the name of the city he lives in is. They come into his uh, into his home. He sits down. He starts watching Duck TV. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in his apartment... You see that he has duck porno mags. So Howard is doing well for himself. <laughs> and while we're on the topic of weird, lurid sex things, let's talk about Howard's job. Howard's job! I was wondering how long it would take to get to this. So, so we're, first, we're first of all, Howard, Howard uh, decides, because he's on his own in Cleveland, that he needs to get a job. So he goes to the unemployment office. Where a sassy African-American woman shouts at him, calls him a freak, and then says she's going to get him a job to spite him. Yes. Which was a very and, confusing. And again, and again this, is, this is one in a long line of people who are not nearly phased enough by, uh, by Howard. She, I think, is probably the first really egregious one. Because pretty much everyone else he, he's met up to that point go, holy shit, duck. Yeah, but she 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 just she she treats him like he's got a neck tattoo, <laughs> or he's got a bunch of facial piercings. That is essentially the speech she's giving. Yeah. She's talking about how I'm pretty sure she thinks he's just a weird weirdo in a duck costume who's trying to try who's dressed like this so that he can stay unemployed. This is his th- her theory about it, and the and so she places him in. I what don't is even this know place? How to describe it's a weird. Sex shop. It's a sex spa. Th- jacuzzi. It's, sex it's, jacuzzi. It's a weird. Yeah. It's a weird brothel full of like mud pits and jacuzzi. I didn't think and... it was a brothel. I thought it was like a public sex space. Like it's not like they came in and they okay. were with the hookers there. It All was right. like they brought their yes. own partner. It was okay, like yeah. couples uh, right. would go I'm, here and have I'm sex. I am inferring in the brothel part. There's really no. I don't think there's much evidence of that but it's very clear it's very clear in place that it's a flop house where people go to have sex but it's full of jacuzzis this is an establishment that does not exist at least in this country again going back to japan it is essentially a love hotel (laughs) 
It is effectively, it's a very weirdly themed love hotel, but the idea of a cheap place where you go to have sex, that's absolutely a Japanese thing. And I can imagine somewhere, probably a couple in Tokyo and maybe one or two in every other major city, there probably are some weird jacuzzi-themed things. And now I'm wondering if this is the George Lucas thing, because we do know that he has a big thing for Japan. He wanted uh, Mifune to be... uh, to be Darth Vader, he bases it on Hidden Fortress, all kinds of stuff like that. Was he the one who said, let's have references to World War II, let's have this weird motif, you, you let's got- have a love hotel? <laughs> all right, so Howard gets hired as essentially the janitor of this seedy, jacuzzi-filled love hotel. And first of all, I'm almost certain that the kind of jobs that you can get from the unemployment office are really very vanilla kinds of jobs. She yeah. should have sent him off to be a temp somewhere, to be yeah. a secretary. Probably not a janitor job. in sex hotel. She gets him a job cleaning up essentially jizzy water. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not that explicit he about sh- he it. He shouldn't have worn that duck costume into the unemployment office. That was the problem. She had to I mean, at some out. point, at some point, he pisses off his weird sex hotel, the sex hotel owner's owner who tosses him into a jacuzzi with some people who not quite having sex but they're on like second or third base who, can, who just third ignore base. him just continue there are no way once again people unfazed by a duck a job a, jo- a, a very large humanoid duck even if it wasn't a duck i feel like you should probably stop fucking when a burly man comes in and throws a little person into your jacuzzi well, that's just something you pause you take a break you cool off, and then you start fucking again. If, if that then, happens, though, if, if you stop, if people would stop at that, then no one in Cleveland would ever have sex. It's a, it's a very, it's not a flattering depiction of Cleveland, because no. there are effectively three places we see in Cleveland. We see the back alleys where uh, Beverly works and is nearly raped. By Satan's Sluts. That was the name of the biker gang. Satan's Sluts. I missed that detail. We see they were this all transvestites. We see this horrible sex place. Really, the only other place we see is the museum. The museum is the only other place in Cleveland we see where Philzy, for some reason, in a way that no person named Phil has ever been nicknamed, uh, Howard insists, insists on calling this man Philzy. The entire movie. It's a du- it's a duck thing, you know. It's um, a duck thing. Yeah, all his friends so called him Halsey. So it's effectively a hell- hellish night uh, nightmare scape full of back alleys, lurid sex shops, and a couple of museums. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all of Cleveland, according to this movie. Yeah. Uh, and th- this yes. was this was the world in which George Lucas was filming his, uh, his. Duck starring heavily Japanese influenced uh, teen love story. I don't want to. I don't want to overemphasize this uh, Japanese influence theory to. that I've. Because I because I mean other than the three or four things that I pointed out here, I don't think there's anything else in the movie that's remotely Japanese. But but, the, but if, if, we, if we want to extrapolate though, I mean, we could extrapolate this into a whole World War II thing. I mean. Dr. Jenning was Jeffrey Jones' character. That's clearly a fake name. He used to be like Dr. Yenning. 
Yeah, that could be. Yep, the Dark he Overlords seems, of the Universe. He pretty seems Nazi-like. a little. He seems a little young at this point to be a former Nazi scientist. Mm-hmm. Also, not to say anything nice about the Nazis, but I would hope Nazi scientists are a little bit more competent. <laughs> he is a really terrible scientist. Because I mean. I'm pretty sure we didn't just give a blanket pardon to all Nazi scientists. It's not like, oh, you were a scientist. Come on over. It was essentially, <laughs> we were picking the cream of the crop. We were like, you, 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 you can help us build rockets. Come yep. on over. You, Come incompetent, on, guy who, fucking incompetent guy building a stupid telescope, you can stay there. Have fun at Nuremberg. <laughs> Have fun at Nuremberg. Oh, God. Um... But no, I mean, that, that's, if we want to go down this route, I mean, Howard, you know, Howard is basically the, uh, he is a stranger in a strange land. He is the minority character in this. Like, his, he, he is, is the, the only, story. he is the only minority in it? I'm trying to think. Let's see, there's the, there's the Asian fry cook who tries to kill him with a cleaver. There's the woman at the, uh, unemployment office. There's the one at the unemployment, one of Beverly's bandmates is yep. black. And uh, I don't think anyone else, certainly none of the scientists. No, David Pamer's um, definitely not. Last I checked. Uh, there might be like some, anyway. It's not. It's a very white movie, including a very white duck, let's yep. be honest. Could have been other colors. They made him white. Yeah. Who's the racist now, Lucas? <laughs> Slash guy who first designed Howard the Duck, because I'm pretty sure he's white there too. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, let's talk about the uncomfortable sexual tension. Yeah. Um, as long as we're still kind of on the topic of weird sex stuff, I was really, really concerned that we were going to have to see like the corkscrew penis. Yes. Thankfully, dear God, I had not considered (laughs) Howard's sexual practices given that Given, given the amount, given the extent to which he is not particularly duck-like because he can neither fly nor swim, yeah. it's possible that humanoid ducks from Duck World are no longer necrophiliac rapists with corkscrew penises. There is a point. But that, but that makes his uh, romantic relationship, which is already fucked up enough as it is with Beverly, all the darker. The idea that if she dies, he will fuck her corpse. He, uh... He won't even think about it. It's his instinct. He's a duck. There is a scene where he is, he's exhausted, he falls asleep in Beverly's place, and uh, she starts going through his wallet, which is a little weird, but, you know, maybe it's just like, among, in her family, that's just how you introduce yourself. You go through people's wallets when they pass out on your floor. Um, But she finds and pulls out a duck condom. And I thought, I I had, like, when I saw that, my first thought was, oh, this is Chekhov's duck condom. We're going to see this again in Act 3. Uh, but of course, of course, we never do, which is one of the many structural problems with this film. It's one of the many, many structural problems. So yeah, it, I mean, I mean, it's obvious just being a Hollywood movie that attractive lady is going to be uh, going to end up with the hero, no matter how unattractive he is. That's just an ironclad law of Hollywood filmmaking. But it's still weird as shit. I wonder if you took this film left everything exactly as is, but replaced Howard and the people playing Howard with Michael J. Fox in just regular street clothes. I think that would be a a better film. Like, that's clearly what the film was written for. And then they shoved a duck in there. It goes back to my 
not really a theory because I know it's not true, but my fantasy that this movie was originally intended as a Lovecraftian horror movie, yeah. and George Lucas got his greasy paws on and said, duck, we're putting a duck in here. Oh, but, God. uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not a good sign when one of the aspects of your title is the major problem with the movie. It's like Cowboys and Aliens, where the aliens were the worst part of that movie. If it had just been that Western plot that they were setting up for the first five minutes of that movie, mm-hmm. I would really like that movie. Yeah. And then the, then the aliens show up and ruin it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Howard the Duck would be a much better movie without Howard the Duck. It's true. Yeah. You wouldn't have to deal... Because yeah, I mean, I think, I think in terms of just as a general plot... Uh, Guy falls in with uh, punk rock star, gets mixed up in weird scientific uh, yeah. hooey that it results in that and has to defeat a dark lord of the universe. Just another I 80s think, movie. I think that could make a pretty decent, corny 80s movie. Yeah. And again, I think I think if it were any good, it would probably be, in, again, the same category as sort of a Buckaroo Banzai, that sort of like kitschy, camp, uh, cult classic kind of thing. But it's just a really shitty movie about a duck. A really shitty movie about a duck, a very unconvincing duck. So I've got some uh, some quick. Do we have anything here. nice to say about this? We've been uh, talking every time you sort of introduce the concept of this. We're going to talk about like the strengths and weaknesses yeah. of Marvel movies. Do I mean I think I think what we just said about how if it didn't have Howard the Duck, it might be a decent movie. That might be the nicest we can come up with. Do you have? I will say, and you disagree with me on this, I do kind of think that the ending song is kind of catchy. <laughs> it, it's, Seven, it's an ending game. Seven will song. disagree with me, but it, I, uh, I think it's got a pretty decent kick, uh, hook to it. Uh, uh, so Howard, I, I'll the say duck! That, g- generally speaking, um, with the exception of the voice actor who was playing Howard, who was utterly atrocious, um, none of the... Perf- Chips the end. Ch- yeah. Oh, okay, okay, so I- interesting. So here is... This is my favorite fake Wikipedia thing of all time. Uh, Because I was doing some research on the film. And I went to the Howard the Duck page in Wikipedia. Uh And was going down through the the cast list. And someone had, in the way that people do, changed one item on the cast list. They had changed who voiced Howard the Duck. And the person that they claimed voiced Howard the Duck was Max Grodenchik, who played Rom on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And do I, you know? Do you know who changed that on Wikipedia? Back to the right information. This guy. Oh. Because while I was, it, it's not. It, it it was an insidious lie on that because it showed up three times in like the cat. Well, four times yeah. actually, like in the castless info box on the side, they put Max Grodenchik, Rom from fucking uh, from that. Uh, from Deep Space Nine, as the top billing. They had Matt Grodencheck, Leia Thompson, Jeffrey Jones, shit like that. But if it, uh, and, and then they then in a later part, like, describing it, they talked about him being the voice of it. And I was really confused by this, because that does not show up anywhere in the movie. It's like, I don't think this is true. And, like, I did a bunch of searching on it, and it actually shows up also on uh, IMDb, because IMDb is not a particularly uh, reliable source. So, obviously, this weird... Somebody saw it on Wikipedia and put it on there. So, I, I made sure to change that. So, if you so, check now, thanks to me, it no longer claims that Max Grodenchik played uh, played uh, Howard the Duck. What, what Though, I, what, let's be honest, he would be better as Howard the Duck. Yeah, and, and what I love about that is it is... 
it's the kind of claim that unless you were doing serious in-depth research on Howard the Duck as we were, you would never question that. No. No. I was like, okay, yeah, of course, he's, of course he he's an actor. He's an actor that's made his career playing guys in costumes. Okay, yeah, yeah okay. He's with, under a lot of prosthesis. That's fine. With the exception of Chip Zian and his terrible, terrible vocal performance, uh, there wasn't any actor in the film that stood out to me as being grossly bad. Like they had, that they is, had not, they had nothing to work with. But I that did, is true. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a movie that's populated by. At the very least, at the time, A and B list 80s yeah. stars. Competent actors, to, yeah. Yeah, people knew who Leia Thompson was. She was in uh, Some yeah. Kind of Wonderful and Back to the Future. And you got Jeffrey Jones, the go-to uh, antagonist of ha- yeah, 80s yeah. movies. And they both deliver perfectly passable performances, given what they're doing. Fucking the, the, Tim Robbins is, like, way over the top, but that's just how the character is. The, the David, one- Pamer's, David Pamer's quite good in his two lines. The one thing that I will say that I, I thought was uh, actually a good part of the movie is the uh, the special effects on the Dark Overlord of the Universe when he shows up at the end and it's that wonderful stop motion puppet. Yes, uh, that is that is the one exception. It's not it's not great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I mean, if you compare it to like the Rancor or something, yeah. it's definitely below that quality wise. But it's certainly. In a movie filled with very, very poor special effects, it's mm. definitely the best one. I also kind of like the uh, the special effects they use for the uh, the Dark Overlord's um, lightning bolts. Like yeah. the, the, they're they're very cheesy, kind of like painted on lightning bolts that you kind of would expect to see in like Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. But there's a certain there's a certain charm to the yeah. to that. So I've uh, got, I've got so one yeah. one more point that I want to cover, and then some just quick hit things at the end. Sure. Um, so we're we're looking at this in the context of you know a subsequent thirty years of Marvel movies. Did it strike you as odd that the climax of this film was basically the same as the climax of the Avengers? There is huh. a a portal no. that a possessed scientist has opened to another part of the universe that aliens are coming through to kill us all. The hero battles the aliens, has to close the portal, possibly sacrificing his own life, comes out of it with a better sense of himself. I agree with everything up until that last part, because Tony Stark does not come out of that, based on uh, Iron Man 3, which is admittedly a pretty shitty movie. Yeah. But uh, he's clearly not, the, he is the worst for the wear after that. Mm-hmm. He's got some PTSD going on there. Yeah. Uh but yes, no, now that you mention it, it is effectively the exact same plot. I mean, obviously, some of the details are different. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you you even have, uh, if I remember correctly, doesn't Jeffrey Jones snap out of it at the very end? At the very he does. End, he's no longer, and, and he he's no longer possessed, and he helps. So it's essentially the exact same role as, what's yeah. his name, scientist from Thor. As uh, Stellan Sarsgaard uh, in Thor. So it's, you, you take all of the Avengers and condense them into Howard. I love this theory, and I hope with every fiber of my being that Joss Whedon did that on purpose. <laughs> I would love it. I would. I would. I'm not entirely convinced that he that he would have done it on purpose. Yeah. But it would be ama- It would have been amazing if he said, "You know what? How about I repurpose the ending of Howard the Duck? Yeah, Will yeah. anyone notice?" 
So it's it's worth noting that, um, or maybe we've have already noticed. I mean, this is the first yeah. theatrical release for Marvel, mm-hmm. correct? Okay. Uh, yeah, there, there, had, there had been a re- there had been a bunch of TV movies, and there had been a really terrible Captain American serial in the forties. But this okay. was the first like we are releasing this as a feature film. Okay. And okay. And well, the next one up is that the Punisher. Uh, is yes. Punisher, the Dol- second one. Dol- okay. Dolph Lundgren's Punisher. Now I'm just wondering. I mean, at what point? At what point does the branding of Marvel come into this? Because I mean, are, are you t- do I you- don't. I don't remember. I don't remember the movie particularly marketing itself as a Marvel movie. No. Um, and this is just me being. This is just me being all media studies about it. Just thinking, when does when does that become a thing? The um, first time I remember seeing the Marvel flip at the front of a movie, yeah, uh, was going to see Spider Man. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly. I w- Yeah. I'm just trying to think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Obviously, at some point. At some point, it gets hard to distinguish because at some point, I just would have known the characters were Marvel in and of themselves. Um, but I mean, at, at, I at this point, if you, you know, uh, I mean, a, a I'm just Superman wondering. I'm wondering at what out. point Marvel, yeah. Marvel's name recognition was known to the general public. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, obviously, they had some big heroes like Captain America at some points and Spider-Man that people were known. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just wondering, probably. At least to me, I feel like probably the early '90s when you have like the cartoons mm-hmm. and, the, and stuff. That's probably when the average man on the street probably would have any concept of what Marvel was as a company. Well, and at this point in time, I mean, comic book movies were not a thing. You had the Superman films with Christopher Reeve, but this yes. was before Tim Burton's Batman. I yeah, mean, it, it was an, enti- this... an entirely different context in which to watch a film like this with a different set of expectations. Ow. How many Supermans had there been at this point in 86? Uh, in 86, there had probably, I think, all four Reeve films. The the fourth four? one, Qu- Quest for Peace, may not have been out yet, but the first three certainly were. Okay, yeah. I, I'm trying to think what other, are there, is there anything else? Any other think, superhero comic movies? Um, I mean, the Conan films, but I think Marvel mm. owned the rights to those, but they, those weren't comic in origin. Everything yeah. else had been uh, had been TV. So you had uh, Adam West's Batman series. You had a ton of cartoons. You had uh, the Incredible Hulk with yeah Bruce George Reeve. Yep, yeah, yep, George. so I mean it it was a Spider-Man, TV Spider Man does whatever a spider can. So th- this was the uh, you know, one of the first bricks laid in that foundation of comics as cinema, and it almost brought the entire thing down. <laughs> I mean, you went from Reeve Superman to Howard the Duck, and then Burton's Batman. Yeah, and it would be another, it would be another twelve years before a decent Marvel movie was made with Blade. Blade. Okay, yeah, I was trying to think what you were counting as that. Yeah, uh, I was thinking the first X Men movie, but yeah, um, yeah, Blade's a couple of years before. Blade yeah. is ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, and X Men was ninety eight. Okay. Okay. Well, we, we will get to all of those in time, uh, but before we, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I, as you were, as you were sort of laying down the foundation of what this concept is, I personally, and I think probably you and maybe Dude, who will be our uh, contributor at other times, um, I think we're all probably much more interested in watching the bad movies. Oh yeah, and, and... I think we're. I think we're in this for. I mean, if you had said, "Hey, let's watch X two or Spider Man two or any." decent or good one i would say ah 
But you, you came to me and said, do you want to watch Howard the Duck? And I said, yes. Do you want to watch Electra? Do you want to watch Ghost Rider? Do you want to watch Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance? No, yes, and yes. Okay. So I'm uh, not I am in no way excited to see Electra. Electra is probably at the very bottom of my god, I'm not looking forward to watching that. Uh I mean I do I have to I have to I have to wonder how we're gonna handle uh Daredevil and the director's cut. Because A, I've never seen the director's cut, and I've heard it's, it makes it much better. But also, I feel like we're probably going to have a lot more to talk about if we watch the bad version. We, but it's also been so long since I've seen the bad version, I might need to watch both. We, w- we will get there when we get there. Um, yes. A couple of final sort of quick hit things before we bring this one to a close. Just things that came up during the film that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, first of all, do you remember who composed the music to this film? John, uh, that, that would be noted James Bond composer John Barry. Really? Yes. Okay. Uh, composed it and composed it poorly. Um, let's see. What else? What else? What else? Most of the notes that I wrote down are just, oh, fuck, kill me. Uh, um, uh, Cleveland basically did look like Blade Runner. Um, Blade Runner is another aesthetic I might attribute to, uh, uh, to that diner. I feel like I feel like there's got to be some really, really like high camp parts of Blade Runner. Yeah, like other parts of that city of that world are probably probably look like that diner. Yeah. Um, th- there were some lines that Tim Robbins had that got legitimate laughs out of me, though maybe for the wrong reasons. Uh, one of them was when confronted with Howard and getting very excited, he declares that finding an anthropomorphic duck like this is, quote, this is man's oldest fantasy. Yes, I do remember that. Uh, the, the, I, I, I'm going to be charitable and assume that he meant finding alien life, yep. which I don't think is true, but is probably more true than it would be if you were talking just about anthropomorphic ducks. Yes. But yes, I do remember that line going, really? Uh, the the other bit is when uh, when Tim Robbins shows up after the concert that he missed, barges into the into Cherry Bomb's dressing room, carrying a pizza and a thing of beer, and says, Hi, I'm sorry I missed the show. I came to watch you undress, though. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. I remember the moment I'd forgotten that specific line. He's so charming. While we're, while we're go, to go back to that last line, I don't think we've done it. I think we've done a disservice to Tim Robbins' character, but not exactly pointing out exactly his motives here. Now, Tim Robbins works in a museum, but he is the lowest of the low as a paleontologist. I don't know exactly what he's supposed to be. He's a guy who works in a natural history museum. He's a scientist. Whatever, whatever scientist the people who wrote that movie thinks works in natural history museums, he's that. But he's essentially the bitch boy of that one. Like all of the other, all of the other people in that place clearly treat him like crap. He's essentially just there to clean up uh, the dioramas and crap like that. Mm-hmm. And he is convinced, absolutely convinced. Like keep it to himself because if anybody hears about Howard, they're going to take credit for it. He is absolutely convinced that this is his ticket to stardom. I'm pretty sure he compares himself to Einstein yep. at some point. Says this will get me says, in the science hall of fame. Yes, he thinks that finding Howard is ticket to the big time, but then then he comes around and 
he enlists uh, Jeffrey Jones, who again is remarkably nice and sweet up until yep. the point he becomes evil. Um, there was another character that we haven't mentioned who was sort of like the uh, police inspector that is sort of repeatedly a thorn in Howard's side. He's leading the police car chase after the ultralight. Yes. Um, has no bearing on the plot. You would think that like, okay, he's been introduced as sort of a secondary antagonist. He'll come back around in the end and there will be some kind of comical payoff. No, never does. Uh, but when he orders his goons to take Howard's duck costume off of him and they take off Howard's clothes and are pulling at his feathers and can't get it off, one of his patrolmen turns to him and says, uh, I'm sorry, sir. I think his duckness is... The suspect's duckness is inward, sir. Which I suppose is another way of saying he's a duck. The suspect's duckness is inward, sir. Man, that sentence. That sentence is just a train wreck. Wow. Yeah. As, as, I, as I hope we've made it clear at this point, this is a very well-written movie. <laughs> uh, another line that I wrote down. Hostility is like a psychic boomerang. Uh, when they are in the uh, kamikaze truck stop. Uh, this is Beverly. Howard may be a duck, but you people are animals. Of yes, I believe, she, I believe she yells that around the same time she yells out, he's my boyfriend, and everyone acts aghast. Yeah. Because, which is probably the most reasonable response anybody in that place has, because it is fucked up as shit. Yeah. At this point, at that point in the dramatic arc, to be so charitable as to call it that of their relationship. I think she was lying. She didn't, the, they were still sort of nascent romantic yeah, feelings, yeah. but it's very clear that they're fucking by the time they get to that song and dance at the end. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, they're fucking hard. You, you can just passion exploding off of the screen. Uh, and the last thing that I wrote down on my notes was, Oh my God, that was terrible. I feel like a pervert. I felt dirty. All, all I felt dirty after the end of that film. All right. I, so, don't, I, I didn't feel quite that bad about it, but yes. All so, right. So uh, the, the film is a failure on every possible measure, except one. There is one good thing that came out of this film. One good thing. Um, so when this film came out. Did it, did, did it keep George Lucas's ego in check, at least somewhat? Uh, imagine imagine the shit. Imagine the shit that he would have pulled if this had been a hit. Even better. Imagine. So this film came out just after George Lucas had built the Skywalker Ranch, which cost him $50 million. All right. Uh, this film, shockingly, I can't even believe it did this well, it barely made back its budget. Okay. Um, huge flop. Uh, he was already $50 million in debt. This film made George Lucas start selling off every asset he had. And one of the okay. assets that he sold off was he sold a CGI animation computer called the Pixar computer to Steve Jobs. Yes, and I that remember grew, you mentioning that. That grew into Pixar Animation Studios. So Howard the Duck, we have Howard the Duck to thank for Pixar. Yes, the next time you sit down and watch Cars 2, thank <laughs> Pixar. Thank Howard the Duck. The next time you sit down, as though you regularly watch Cars 2. Yeah, if, if Cars 2 is your favorite film, the next time you sit down to watch it. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't actually I don't actually hold the Cars movies against them because the Cars movies are effectively Pixar's uh, ticket to print money. They oh, yeah. make so much fucking money off the merchandise for that. Having having worked speaking as somebody who has worked in toy stores extensively, like when a Pixar movie comes out, like Toy Story three came out at one point while I was working in a toy store, and for like a month or two we had Toy Story three things. At no point do we not carry Cars merchandise. Yeah, every there is always Cars merchandise available because it never stops being popular. That shit, the the merchandising alone has allowed them to do whatever the fuck they want. Not that Pixar has been super fantastic the last few years, but they effectively have a, a ticket to do whatever they want because every so often they can just pump out a new Cars movie and rake in the go. And you can, for that, you can thank Howard the Duck. You can thank Howard the Duck. <sighs> Not bad for a duck from outer space. Yes. Um, Alright, so that is... Uh... That is episode one of Cinema Excelsior, our exploration of the good and the bad Marvel movies. Uh, next week, I, I would like to promise a good, or not next week, next time, I would like to promise a good one. I can't because the next film we're going to be watching, Dolph Lundgren waging a one-man war on Lou Gossett Jr. in the first of three adaptations of The Punisher. Uh, spoiler alert, it sucks. <laughs>